Amen. We want to welcome you here to Greenville First Christian Church, and we can praise, we can celebrate because the stone has been rolled away, Jesus is alive, and he's made a way for us to be sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. Amen? Let's praise God for that. That's an amazing testimony. Now, I want to welcome you uh, to FCC as we celebrate, as we focus on Jesus. But before we dive into the text today and and study his word, we, we have a unique opportunity to celebrate something with a brother. An amazing thing happened this weekend. Ben Harris, if you haven't heard yet, did a thing. He proposed to his girlfriend, Morgan Gibson, and she said yes. Let's celebrate with Ben. Congratulations. If you don't know, Ben is our student pastor, and he he loves Jesus. He loves the students, and he loves Morgan very much. And uh, it wasn't in question, but we were excited when she said yes, and man, uh, their, their future is so bright in Christ. If you haven't heard this year, we are going to focus on Jesus. Now, for a Christian church, that should be no surprise. And in fact, I would, I would like to think that every year Jesus is a focus, but we are going to have very clear vision of focusing on him and, and who he is and how we can live like him. We're going to try to live out uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Look at these words with your eyes in Hebrews 12, and also open your heart to to begin to follow Jesus in this way. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He, he, He makes a clear call. He says, be focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The more we focus on Jesus... The more we know about Jesus, the more uh, we live like Jesus, I believe the more we honor Jesus and honor his Father. And that's our, that's our desire. And the best way that I have known over the course of my life and, and my studies and even my pursuit of God, the best way to know more about Jesus is to be in his word. This should be of no surprise. Uh, the first core value of the church is, is that we value the authority of God's word, that as followers of him, we would let the word of God be the authority for our lives. That's not very popular today. Uh, a lot of times preachers, uh, uh, we, we do like to say things that are popular. I want you to know that this is the authority for our lives is not popular anymore because people want to be in charge of their own lives. But the word of God makes it clear that as we follow Christ, if we want to know his will and the way for our lives, this has to be the word we follow. It's our authority. But what does that look like? You're like, well, why isn't it popular? Everybody wants to follow the Bible. But here's why it's not very popular. Uh, But here's where we have to commit to today. When our wishes come into conflict with the word, the word wins. Didn't even hear one amen there. (laughs) When what we want, our wishes, come into conflict with this, we've got to say, the word's going to win, and you'll be blessed. When our feelings don't naturally follow the word, guess who wins? The word of God. When we have questions that the world has hundreds of answers for, and and the world's telling you, well, just choose one of them and make it right for you. When when the answers of this world and the hundred answers the world could give, when it comes into conflict and it's different than the word, the word must win. So here's the cool part, though. We can bring all kinds of questions before the word, and it will win, and you'll be blessed. 
What I love about our our new book that's going to help us focus on the Word, Core 52, it actually examines each week, each chapter, a question that's on my heart and yours in the world. And then it puts us in relationship to what Jesus says, how he lived, where his power is and his passion, and, and it gives us answers to live by. So we would ask you to join in us this journey, this quest to follow Jesus better, and this 52-week quest journey uh, to be more like Jesus. This week we're going to be in chapter 2, and so be reading along with this chapter 2. And the answer or the question for this week is, is life random? It's probably a fair question that most of us have. It's this idea that maybe things that we do are really not on purpose, if, if every day that we live through is just something different, it's something that is just coincidence at times. Uh, and I, this, this book will help us dive into God's word. So I want you to pick one of these up today. Uh, if Get one for a friend. Does someone here not have one that you just mean to pick it up? Raise your hand if you, if you haven't had one of these yet. Right here. This is one for you. I'll give this one. There you go. It pays to set close, guys, okay? <laughs> But pick one of those up, and as we focus on God's Word, I I believe we're going to grow deep in His Word. We're going to grow out, and we're going to grow young as we focus on Jesus. And today, we're going to answer this question, is life random? I wonder if so far this year, if you've had a a random moment, you're like, man, this is 2023, it's going to be a great new year, and it already feels like Groundhog Day, you know, a meaningless, purposeless day, pointless. We're stuck in another dull day again after again, and you're like, isn't there more to be had. And then maybe something bad happens and it's hard to make sense about it. That's a reoccurring theme for the world. Well, was that random or was it meant to be, or is God going to use it? Or is it just the unlucky nature of this world? Or maybe something just strange happens and your friends say, well, that's a coincidence. Is it a coincidence or is God about ready to do something big? But to be honest, life and how to explain it can be hard. So let's focus on Jesus and his person and find out what's really going on. Let's dive into the word. So where are you going to start? Uh, Some would say start in John 3, 16. It's a good place to start that God loves you enough to send his one and only son so that the world and you could be saved. That'd be a great place to start, but we're not going to start there. Or Luke 19, where Jesus says, hey, my mission is to seek and save the lost. That'd be a good place to start. Or how about Mark 15? where Mark describes the crucifixion and Jesus' suffering so we could live. I don't want to start in any of those places today. I want to unpack a, a verse that we often overlook. Uh, Mark Moore brings it up in the book, and, and I've dove into it this week, and it's excited me. It's, 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 I've seen things this week that I've never seen before in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It's the first verse of the entire New Testament. It's the first verse of the gospel that tells the story of Jesus. So let's dive in. Here's what it says in Matthew 1, 1. It says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. You're like, well, this is boring. It's a genealogy. It's a family tree. It says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To the original reader, when they opened this up, when Matthew wrote about the genealogy of Jesus, the Jews would have got really excited because for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, they've said, the Messiah is coming and he's going to come through the line of Abraham. And he says, this is the line of Jesus from Abraham to David. They would have been like, this is cool. This is like uh, the, the hottest topic of the time. I want you to see it's awesome today as well. Look at verse 2. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. 
I could go on for the next 16 verses, but in all honesty, if we don't see the story, it's really boring. It's, it's just really 16 verses of 42 names from the descendants of Abraham. And if you don't see what God's doing, it's just words. It, it, it gets old quick. It's 42 people that came after Abraham. But what we, what we can't overlook is from the beginning in verse 1, he says, while there's 42 people in this list, the first one, the one we're focused on, is Jesus Christ. And he's not just a man, he's the Messiah. Look back to verse 1. It says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The word Christ here for the original reader, if you were a Jew, you would have heard this word again. The Christ is coming. The Christ is coming. It is the Greek word Christos, which literally means chosen one, um, Messiah. It means the son of the living God. So the original reader would have been like, is he talking about the one the prophet spoke of that was going to come and be a blessing? Is he talking about the one that God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and bless every man and woman after you through this one part of your family tree? Is this the one? And Matthew makes sure in this account with his detailed style of tax collecting and he logs everything in the family tree, he says, this is the one that has all the right people in his lineage. This is the one the prophet Samuel said would come to save the world. He's in the line of Abraham and David. He's, he's the, right, the right one because he's got all the right people in his family. And the reason Matthew highlights this is he wants us to know Jesus has the right people in his family and that allows him to be the one that saves all people, is a blessing to all people. And while people are part of the plan... We can't get past this reality that Jesus was more than just a man. He was God in the flesh. He was God's son. The word Jesus Christ or the name Jesus Christ, sometimes we think, well, Jesus was his first name and Christ was his second name. You may have never thought about this, but Jesus was his name. Christ was a bold declaration that this was the son of the living God. This was the Messiah. And too often we hear Jesus Christ and we dismiss it as just a phrase. But it's a statement saying this is Jesus the Son, the Messiah, the one that came to save. When is the last time you heard Jesus Christ declared? Probably a movie this weekend or a TV show. We hear it in boardrooms and basketball floors. And when it said Jesus Christ, it's not said with any, any adoration. It's not said with any respect. And yet Matthew says this is Jesus Christ the original readers would have been like, is this really the one we've been looking for? They would have understood that this list was not a random list, but it was a very purposeful list that started with Abraham, that had David included, and now Jesus has been born. This was to be a blessing for all people, not a random event. It's anything but random. The Jewish culture would have been extremely excited that the, the lineage was revealed. The family tree had been fulfilled for the Messiah. This would have been the hottest topic off the press, even though they didn't have uh, printing back then. This would have been something everybody was talking about. And it's hard for us to understand why they would have been so excited about a family tree. I mean, to be honest, when's the last time you were excited about your lineage or someone else's line? 
It's something that we hear about occasionally and we take note of. But I can remember back in like the early 80s, I'd go every year to Ponderosa Steakhouse in Washington, Indiana, and I'd go through like that buffet line, if you've ever been to Ponderosa back in the day, and I'd get a sirloin and, and whatever other things were on the buffet, and I went and sat down to the back room where we had the banquet area for this Cummings reunion, and someone every year would put the family tree of the entire uh, tr- families we knew it over on the wall. I would look at it for two minutes, and I was like, that's enough, I'm going to go eat my food. That was, that was as excited as I would get. Maybe that's the way you've been about your family lineage. That's not the way this was about this in this text. The Jewish people, originally, when they would see, hey, this is Jesus the Christ from Abraham, from David, they would have been excited. I wonder if you're excited about any of your family lineage now. There have been some things in recent history that have made lineage be more um, popular. How many of you have submitted uh, some DNA to uh, what is it? Me 23, 23 and me. How many of you have tried that where you find out some family heritage? No one. Okay. Uh, 23 and me, what they do there is they take some family DNA uh, from your body and they can trace you to different places, tell you what your heritage is. It's becoming relatively popular. I haven't done that yet. Or how about ancestry.com? You can type in different information and you can find out about your family uh, history. And, and that's becoming a more of a part of our culture, but really no one was super excited about one family tree since this time. And there will be no family tree that overshadows the family tree of Jesus. But something recently has taken place in our culture that has made millions of people focus on a family tree that's fictional. How many of you are aware of the phenomenon they call Yellowstone on TV, the most popular television show on TV right now, Yellowstone? I'm not endorsing that. It's interesting. I'll just say that, okay? Um, The Dutton family has a family tree on that show that people are very curious about. I mean, super curious about uh, who was in the line and lineage of John Dutton, played by Kevin Costner. Uh, A very amazing and strong character. And then what happened about a year ago, uh, the show 1883 came out, set in 1883 with Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. And then they're like, oh, we can connect John Dutton to uh, this James Dutton and now the, the family tree. People are getting super excited about that. And then this year, something amazing happened to the fans. The show 1923 came out with the main character being Harrison Ford, a a pinnacle part of the Dutton family. And then with this show, it connected everything back from John Dutton and Tate Dutton all the way back to 1883. And people had the full picture of the family tree, and it was amazing. You may have seen that on social media where people are guessing about the different components about it. What I find interesting about the Dutton family tree is, if you've seen the show at all, there's parts of the family tree people just love, like John Dutton. People are just like amazed by the type of man he was to protect his family. And then there's parts of the family tree that most people, if they were in your tree, you would love to just remove. You're like, I want no part of what's going on in that family tree. Uh, People uh, love to hate some of the characters, and yet they steal the show. I bring all this up to to remind us of this, that most family trees are tricky. If you're like my family tree, they're, they're, they're can be messy at times. There can be things that we'd rather forget about. This week, I reviewed my family tree on my dad's side, the Graber side, more than I ever had. I was evaluating this text in Genesis, and while it was a little boring, I started getting some really interesting things that was all leading to Jesus. So I called my dad, and I said, Dad, tell me a little bit more about our family tree. 
Because I thought for the most part growing up that the, the family entire tree started and stopped within the, the family I knew after uh, Pete and Rose Graber. They, they were uh, two people that got married uh, in, in the early 1900s and they had 15 children. So from my perspective as growing up with them, they were the entire family tree all together. My dad has seven brothers and seven sisters. And as I was talking to my dad about the family tree, I knew there was much more to be known. He knew bits and pieces. He said, but you need to talk to my sister, Pauline, because she's the family historian. So I called Pauline this week, and she began to tell me some amazing details, some good and some bad. But she says, what we know is in 1775, Peter Graber was born around that time, somewhere in Switzerland. Now, the interesting thing is I tell you my family heritage, you can see that about every other graver was named Peter, okay? But Peter was born sometime around 1775 in Switzerland, and he was a, a very much committed part of a religious group that focused on Christ. In fact, they were radical for the sake of Christ. They were known as Anabaptists. And Anabaptists would go throughout their communities and their culture with their friends and say, hey, if you want to follow Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to commit to him. And they did this radical thing. They would say, you need to be baptized as a believer in an age of understanding. And they started sharing that message with people that grew up with the state religion known as Catholic at the time who would baptize as infants. And, and these Anabaptists were radical. And they would say, hey, if, if you want to follow Christ, you, you need to be baptized again. That's literally what Anabaptist means. It means again baptized. And the government says, stop it. Don't come against our state religion and say that people need to be baptized again as an adult uh, by immersion. I don't know if anybody ever heard of this, but it sounds altogether too familiar, doesn't it? That, that people would say, you need to follow Christ in an age of understanding and be baptized. The government put so much pressure on them in the early 1800s that my grandfather, Peter Graber, and his family for a time with a few other families worshiped for a year in a cave in secret until the pressure became so much, they moved to France. And then in 1836, my great-great-great-grandfather, Daniel Graber, came to America with his 12 kids seeking religious freedom to worship freely. When he arrived, my great-great-grandfather, Jacob, was 15 years old. And he was very committed to the movement. He later had a son named Peter. And then he had a son named Jackson. And then in 1911, my grandfather, Peter, was born in southern Indiana, right where I was raised. And then in 1953, Gordon Graber, my father, was born. In 77, I was born. And then in 02, my son Dawson was born. And you can see the family heritage here. And it looks like we're due for another Peter, by the way, Dawson. Okay? No pressure. But she went on to tell me some amazing things. She said, Tyson, they were known as radical for the sake of Christ. And that gets me excited that my heritage was radical for the sake of Christ to the point where they would worship in secret just so they could praise the king. And they were radical for the sake of Christ to tell people they need to commit to Christ uh, before the government. What an amazing idea. She went on to tell me that my Great-great-grandfather was the, one of the first preachers of their movement in Ohio when they settled there. She told me some amazing thing I'm proud of. But then I asked her, I said, I'm looking at the life of Jesus week in, in his, his lineage. Were, were there some scandals in our lineage? 
Were, were there some uh, like horse thieves? Were there, were there some people that maybe we don't often talk about, but they were still there? And you know what I heard on the other end of the phone for probably 10, 20 seconds was silence. And then she said, yeah, we've got some of those. And she went on to tell me the story. On her, mother, on, on her mother's side, be my grandmother's side, there was a man who came over just after uh, Daniel Graber on the same ship. Uh, the ship was called Lydia from France. Uh, Daniel came with his family on, on the ship Lydia. And then I believe in that same year, uh, the Stahl family came over on the ship named Lydia. And yet those families were from the same region in the United States. They came to the same United States and they didn't come together for a number of years. But my great-great-great-grandfather at some point on, the, on my grandmother's side began to be a business partner with a man in a small brewing company. And they were brewing beer. And they were successful at selling beer. And they had a partnership for a number of years. And while they were extremely successful at selling beer, my grandfather could not handle beer, if you know what I mean. And he became an alcoholic and basically a drunk and lost everything. I never heard that story till this week. Little did I know, while that grandfather on that side lost everything during that time of his life, that man in that brewing company kept brewing beer, and you may have heard of it. His family name is Anheuser. And they've got just a little company over in St. Louis. <laughs> but you can't make this stuff up. I never heard that side of the story about my drunk grandfather who lost everything. I wonder if there's something in your family that's messy. That you don't want to talk about, but, but the God could still use. He, he's not afraid of working in. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is not afraid of having a messy family tree. In fact, Matthew highlights it. And to the Jews, it would have been radical. As they see Jesus in this family tree, uh, they, they see a scandal one after another. And what would have been very common, if you were going to be the king, if you're going to be a political leader, if you had money, what you would do is you would ask the historian to cut out certain tree limbs from your family tree and pretend like they didn't exist. You leave the bad stuff out and you highlight the good stuff. It meant that you didn't talk about your drunk grandfather. It meant that your crazy cousin Eddie never made the family lineage. It meant that you paid extra to keep your weird aunt out of it. And to be honest, many of you wouldn't have made the list either. Maybe I wouldn't have for a time. What's interesting is Matthew does the exact opposite. He not only highlights the good people, the right people, but he highlights the reality of the mess and of the struggle. He doesn't hold back from saying, hey, these people had struggles in their life, but God saw through it. Uh, that's, where Jesus, that's why Jesus came. He came through these people to save all people. Look back to the text. In chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zer by Tamar. The Jewish people at the time, if they were reading this in a scroll probably, there'd been time out. What's this deal with Tamar? Uh, the first thing that would have struck them about Tamar, in a, in a family lineage, it would have looked like mine. And, and I didn't do this on purpose. Uh, but a family lineage was naturally just the firstborn son that was stated. And yet here, we see Matthew include a woman, Tamar. Here's what I want you to know about this. God's word and God's purpose has always been ahead of the time, ahead of the curve, at honoring both men and women. 
God's uh, plan has been to always to honor all people. And we see this, but the Jews would have been like, this is not the, way, the right way to do it. But she's not the only woman in the text. Look, look at verse 5. It says, Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. There's another woman. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. There's four women in about four verses that Matthew says they need to be honored. They're part of the family tree. They're part of the lineage. While the society would have said, hey, cut them out, not just because of their sex or their gender, but cut them out because of the scandals they were involved in. And these women were scandalous. And yet God's word is not afraid to celebrate what God can do in all people. They had scandalous stories. Let me tell you about Ruth. Don't misunderstand this. Ruth is a hero of her faith. There's an entire book of the Old Testament dedicated to Ruth's story. But to the original reader, if the Jews were reading this, they're like, Ruth shouldn't be in here. Ruth is not even a Jew. She's a Moabite. There's there's no way that we need to honor her in the the lineage of Jesus. And yet that's what Matthew does. He's devoted to to share the whole truth about how Christ came. They would have wanted to know the Messiah came through the lineage of Abraham as a good Jew, and yet she is honored, and she wasn't a Jew at all. She is no more Jewish than George Santos from New York right now. And if you know that story, uh, you you can figure that out later. Google that. She wasn't a Jew at all. She was a Moabite, an enemy. She was a foreigner, and yet Matthew acknowledged her. The Moabites and Israelites were like oil and water, Cardinals and Cubs fans. Hatfields and McCoys, they just didn't get along. And yet she's being honored? She's not being wrote out? No, because she was a great woman of faith. Matthew goes on to talk about another woman, Rahab. Does anybody know what Rahab did for a living? She was scandalous. She was a prostitute. And yet she's in the lineage. See, as God's people were were overtaking the promised land. Joshua sent spies to check out Jericho. And I'll make a long story short. These men went into this uh, dangerous territory behind enemy lines and and they were developing a plan. It wasn't random at all. God was going to work through his people to secure his promised land that he had promised. And these spies went in there and they sought safety with a woman named Rahab. And I believe the reason this worked is because she was a prostitute. And while there was no sexual relationship between these spies and and this uh, woman of the night, It would have worked because it would have been very common, I believe, for men to come and go from her house and be undetected, unnoticed, because it was common. And yet she provided safety for them. And as Jericho was destroyed, God honored what she did and allowed her life to be saved. And she later married an Israelite man and became the mother of Boaz, leading to the line of Jesus. Don't miss this. No matter how messy your story is, God is ready to use you. Don't miss this. If you've been in church for a long time and today feels pretty comfortable, it actually even feels just a little bit dirty to talk about ladies like Rahab. Know that God is still challenging his people to be willing to go anywhere for the sake of his purpose. These men went into this prostitute's house, and I believe the story probably made a lot of good Israelites uncomfortable at the time. I want you to know God is willing for us to go and wants us to go any and everywhere for the sake of his purpose to be with all people. And I'll go ahead and say this. I've said this before. 
we should be willing to do anything short of sin for the sake of God's will to be done. It's pretty easy to come here on a Sunday morning, but where will you go on a Tuesday night or a Saturday morning for the sake of God's glory? And who cares what the world says? Some people say, well, you can't do that if you're a Christian. Uh, that's outside of the boundaries of a good Christian. If, if you're honoring God, God gives you freedom to do anything for the sake of saving someone else short of sin. It means we're going to do some radical things for God's glory. We see that in the text. Then Matthew mentions another woman. He doesn't really say her, her name. Look what it says in the text. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Matthew doesn't say her name, but everyone would have known it. All these Jews who knew the story of the Old Testament would have known exactly who Uriah's wife was. Matthew doesn't say her name, but he says, Solomon became the father of David. Excuse me, David was the father of Solomon by Uriah's wife. It was Bathsheba. She was married to Uriah. And yet David had a child with her out of wedlock and covered it up. If you know the story, it's heartbreaking. David uh, should have been at battle with his men, and yet he's being lazy on top of his roof, just kind of killing time. He's sitting back on his roof looking over the kingdom, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath, and he begins to lust after her. We know it was a bath. You know how we know that? Because her name was Bathsheba. If it was a shower, it would have been Shower Sheba, Okay. <laughs> That's a bad one. But he sees this woman. He, he lusts after her. He calls for her. He, he has sex with her. She becomes pregnant, and he tries to cover it up by bringing Uriah home. But Uriah is such a good man, he will not be with her because his men are out at battle. And so he knows this guy's got to die. At least that's what he thinks. Sounds like an episode of Yellowstone and worse. And yet God doesn't cover any of that up, but he celebrates what he does in the middle of a mess. If your life is a mess right now and you feel like, man, God can never use my story, that is a lie from hell. God can use you and wants to use you in a radical way, no matter what's going on. And what about Tamar? Her story makes the others maybe look a little tame. Her, her story would have been a perfect episode of Jerry Springer. Uh, she uh, dressed up like a woman of the night to seduce her father-in-law so she could become pregnant, and she bears a son through her father-in-law through lies. You talk about a scandal. Because none of this is random. God is saying, uh, the point of all of this is, I can work through all people to be a blessing to all people through my son Jesus. This genealogy is not random at all. It's not a, a, a bunch of messed up people. It's not just wrong people, but it's God working through all people to bring him glory through relationships with us. And Matthew understood this because you know what Matthew was? A disciple, but the wrong type of, type of guy for the Jews because his occupation was a tax collector. And he was known to be a sinner of the worst because he would basically uh, rob from good Jews to line his own pockets to support the Roman government. And yet when he met Jesus, his life changed. Look at Matthew 9, 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I wish it were always that easy, but you've got to understand he's talking to Jesus. As Matthew went to, to follow Jesus, his life was changed. He says, I want other, other of my friends to meet Jesus. So he had invited them all to his house. Look what it says in verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, they were having a party. 
Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. This is, this is a big party. This, this, is, this is the like who's who of the town. This is the scandalous people of the town. It's, it's the rich. It's the powerful. It's, it's the, the sinful. And they're all hanging out with Jesus. And the Pharisees, we see here, the, the religious leaders of the time are like, what is this? This is inappropriate. Why would any good teacher hang out with such sinners? And look what it says in verse 11. And when the Pharisees, these religious leaders, saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Let me put it in words we can understand. Why don't we just expect everybody to come to church and pretend like they've been Christians their whole life? That'd be easier, wouldn't it? Why doesn't, why doesn't just our friends all of a sudden show up and, and, and they've got the perfect lineage and, and no problems? That's not the way it works, and Jesus knew it. He went to where the people were in need and were hurting, and he hung out with them. He had real relationships with them. And unfortunately, the religious leaders sat back and judged. And they asked this question of the disciples, not wanting Jesus to be involved, but guess what Jesus does? He's like, I'll, t- I'll handle this question. He says, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus made it really clear. He, he said, guys, while you think you've got it all figured out, you make these little gifts to the church and, and you do all these right things, I've really come to people who will give mercy to the person that's hurting, not to pretend like you've got it all right. Guys, that's what we're called to do as well. No matter our past, no matter our friend's current position, we're called to show mercy and grace to people and not pretend like we've got everything figured out. Because we're all from a messy past full of sinners and and people who've made mistakes, but God redeems everything. And Matthew knew that. That's why he included these four women with scandalous stories, because he wants all of us to know, including you and me, that Jesus loved us enough to die for us in our sinful state. It's not random, is it? It was for, on purpose. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. Matthew's life was changed. And so can your life be changed. We're all sinners that need to be changed by Jesus. It's not random. And this week, Quest 52 is going to help us remember that. I want to share with you really uh, quick four different things that you can take away from today in Quest 52. And some of you are like, that's the longest sermon intro I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, this is, four points are going to take like three minutes. Here we go. The first one, God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Remember that. 42 people led to Jesus. We see that here. Uh, whether you're male or female, Jew or Greek, black or white, rich or poor, he uses people. You get to be a part of what God's doing. Here's what it says. No matter your past, no matter how hard it is, in Romans 8, all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. He wants to work a mighty work in you. And here's the next thing to remember. God uses imperfect people. People with problems, people with pains, people with imperfections. Uh, the guy who wrote this, I'm about to share with you, uh, had a lot of problems. We don't really know what the problems was. It may have been speech or his skin or maybe his body in some way. And he cried out to God numerous times to have his problems removed from him. But this is what Jesus said time after time. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That was Paul that had that said to him. Here's what I would say to you. If you think everything has to be perfect before God can use you, sometimes the best way we're used is in our weakness. Because when our weakness is still worked within, it shows that God powers what pulled us through, and to him be the glory. 
So right now, while you may want your life to become all uh, nice and neat, God may want to use your mess to point others to him. But what that leads us to is we can't do it on our own. God sent his perfect son. Look what it says in Hebrews 2. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. He chose to bring us into his family. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into salvation. Here's what he's saying. Uh, This Hebrew writer is saying here that God brought all of us into his family tree in our mess and our problems because Jesus was willing to die on the tree of Calvary, on the cross. And it wasn't random. The Bible says it was his plan and his purpose. So no matter how random your life feels, you you may have woke up today and you're like, why am I here? God is wanting you to know his plan, his purpose is to be in relationship with you. It's not random. He did that through Jesus. Your life uh, may be very short, much shorter than you think. It, It is very purposeful today that you realize that your eternal destination is hinges on the fact of who you say Jesus is. Is Jesus Christ just something you swear with or is Jesus Christ the son of the living God, your savior and your Lord? It's not random. It's for a relationship. I I learned one more very interesting fact this week about my Graber family tree. You know, the fact that there was one of the early preachers in Ohio that came from my lineage, uh, from the fact that uh, Peter uh, originally worshipped in a cave uh, under scrutiny from the government. Man, that that gets me excited that that there were radical believers for the sake of Christ way back in my family tree. And I, I long for my family to be known as radical for Christ. But what I'm most proud about was this other story that I heard my aunt said. That in the 1900s, my great-grandfather Jackson was kind of like Ben, looking for a wife. And he started seeing different people and different women, and he started to be in a relationship with this girl. But come to find out, this girl didn't know who her dad was. Her mom had been in a relationship with someone that no one ever really knew and had a child out of wedlock. And that was my great-grandmother because Jackson fell in love with her. And by God's grace and mercy and by his grace and mercy, even in the Amish community where that was a big no-no, they became married. And in 1911, she gave birth to my grandfather, Peter Graber. And the heritage and line was blessed even though it was a mess. Maybe your family tree has that type of baggage, that type of mess, but I want you to know God can use it. It kind of reminds me of a story of another young woman who, who no one could really know for sure who her father, the father of her child was, and ended up being Jesus. And he came in the line and lineage of Abraham and David to save you from your sins, all with right people in his lineage and all the wrong people to show that he is for all people. He has come to save you. So if you need a fresh start this year, focus on Jesus. Stop being ashamed of what happened in your past or, or what didn't happen in your past and know that it's not random, but he has come for a relationship with you. Would you stand with me? I, I want to make it clear today. If you, if you need a fresh start, if you need a new life, if, if the mess of the past has been intense, the only way to have your life change is through Jesus. And it's not random. He came for a purpose to seek and save you, to, to give you a relationship in his family forever. Father in heaven, today, I I pray that uh, in the mess of life, that we see it's not a coincidence, that you're working, that you're doing your will.
Father, if someone is here today and needs to trust in, in your son Jesus, and, and they just need to say, I want to be a part of the family, that they come to you through him, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, our, our, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.